Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Non-Contact Time, a podcast about all things educational with Hannah and Kath. I'm Kath. I'm Hannah. Welcome to the show. So what is on the show today, Hannah? This is a little bit different this week. We haven't got a guest as such, but we're going to talk to you all about well-being because it's the week before Christmas and you guys definitely need a break. So in data, we're talking about teacher retention and attitudes to teaching. In teaching and learning, we're going to talk about some tips for teachers over the Christmas break. In pupils causing concern, you're going to hear a funny story from Louise, who was on last week's show, talking about pure well-being arts and what they can offer. So you're going to hear a funny story from her. And in any other business, you're going to hear about some exciting things that are coming up in January and how you can get involved in the show. So let's get on with the podcast. In data, Kath, you're going to speak to us about teacher well-being at this point in the pandemic. So what kind of information have you found out so far? What I think is really interesting is I've been using the old teach tap, which I'm kind of loving. And um, it's interesting that the question keeps coming up about how long do you think you're going to stay in the profession beyond the pandemic? And I think the data is quite surprising. What was also really interesting is um, that from the data from TeachTap, Nuffield Foundation have done a bit of a study and they said mental health attitudes have stayed fairly similar before lockdown and after lockdown, but it's different areas of mental health that are a concern to teachers. So one of the areas where um, teachers are feeling a bit low is their usefulness. Um, a lot of the teachers are less optimistic about the future and a lot of teachers are also not as interested in new things. Now this might not seem such a big deal in isolation but when you kind of put those three things together if we were thinking about a student we would all go oh my gosh if a student's feeling that way we need to be really really concerned and I think that's what um, governments, schools that have wellbeing policies, they need to really think about and really identify those staff that are feeling that way because it's not a good situation to be in feeling useless, 
not losing your optimism because a big chunk of our job is being optimistic even when things aren't great and also that whole loss of interest in new things so many teachers that are fantastic that I've worked with or have spoken to or we've even had on the podcast they're all people that are really interested in getting better at what they're doing and improving their profession and if they're losing that love then that's really going to translate into the classroom and the way that they kind of react to students. Um, there was also some information that teachers are really high work anxious at the start of September. And I've got to admit that I was quite worried when I first started back in September. Um, I don't know whether that's changed, but it was interesting that that anxiousness was actually higher for women than men. And then the other piece of data that really surprised me is one in five head teachers said that they are likely to leave the profession after the pandemic um, because I think head teachers have been under a huge amount of pressure and they've had to make a lot of really really difficult decisions and I think there'll be some head teachers out there that are kind of going hmm is this the job for me because if you have to make a decision about cutting your budget or cutting your staff or cutting subjects or even thinking about balancing the safety of your staff with the safety of your students, it becomes like really, really hard, gut-wrenching decisions. I guess there's no other way really to describe it. it. You have these ethical considerations that you've got to have every day and it's made a high pressure job even more high pressure. So what do you think of all of that, Hannah? Well, I think teachers put a lot of pressure on themselves. There's a lot of things to teach and it's not just about keeping a child safe for however many hours a day. As a classroom teacher, particularly if you're a year six teacher or if you're coming up to exams like GCSEs or you know even phonics checks and things like that, you are not only responsible for that child's results, but that also puts added pressure on you for you know the, the future of that child. So I know myself that when I teach an exam subject, I'm constantly thinking, well, this student needs to get this grade to get into college or you know, they, they want to do music in the future. So I want, really want to give them a lot of support and make sure that they get to where they want to be. And sometimes, as we know as teachers, there are students out there who just either don't want to or are unwilling to take that step and, and actually put the pressure on themselves. So then that actually creates more pressure for the teacher. Um, so I think that is quite a struggle for a lot of teachers, that kind of pressure on on results and not just getting the results from the whole class but also making sure that students are accountable for themselves and that they push themselves because you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink so how you know a teacher's job is to make that horse drink and how are you going to make that horse drink and what are you going to do if that horse doesn't drink anything <laughs> so I think there's a lot of pressure on on the exams but also this new added uh, focus on well-being is it's really important students do need to we need to make sure that their well-being is looked after and students feel safe and ready to learn and they're prepared for the day but I think we've got to balance that with how much can we actually fit into the curriculum do we have the time for this do we have the resources are there people in the school dedicated to support that kind of you know development in the students is there a specialist counsellor or somebody who also has that responsibility that can shoulder a bit of that that responsibility from teachers because that's you know immensely useful I've worked in schools before that have had counsellors and it means that the job of a teacher 
is a lot easier and they can concentrate on teaching as opposed to you know dealing with the fallout of their behavior because they can't deal with their emotions or maybe you know it's somewhere for the students to go when they feel like they're a bit stressed and they need somebody to talk to counselors that you know that they're so excellent and so underused and I think a lot of it is like you said before it's due to funding it you know if a head teacher had a magic money tree I'm sure <laughs> that they would put all these things in place to make sure that their students you know have everything that they need but sometimes it is a choice between are we going to have this counsellor that we pay for or are we going to keep the the teachers that we have it it's sometimes very difficult for schools to make those decisions and finally the future of those pupils in terms of their social and emotional development so as a teacher that you are also responsible for that and it's very difficult I think to to constantly be climbing this ladder and helping these students and doing all these things and then also thinking about yourself and I know in teaching and learning we're going to talk about some tips and things that you can do to look after yourself but it is so important as a teacher that you realize that a lot of teachers feel the same a lot of teachers go through difficult times and there's you know a lot of struggles there's it is a high pressure job it's quite a high stress job sometimes but there are things that we can do to combat it and we'll talk about that some of that later well that leads really well into this quote that i found which i thought um, i bet there's a lot of teachers out there that probably feel exactly the same way so i was reading a study on the ethical dilemmas of teaching staff in australia during the pandemic so what um some of the governments in australia some of the um state governments when they were talking to schools about what they needed to do. It was very interesting because a lot of head teachers to, went out on a limb and made decisions before they were given guidance. And I think that's very brave. And I think it's really commendable of those head teachers that did it. So they said things like they went out on a limb and made sure their staff was safe and their children were safe. And they brought in really extreme measures only to have like the government agencies sort of catch up with them. And I think in the UK, it was kind of the opposite. There was a lot of kind of waiting around to find out what happened. And we, a lot of head teachers had their hands tied because they can't really take the risks like these Australian schools did. So a lot of Australian schools flipped the curriculum and the focus has been on well-being, where learning can happen, but it's not the most important thing in a student's day. And I think that's important because I think particularly when we went back in September, there were some students that were massively disengaged. We have students who before the pandemic weren't vulnerable and weren't needy students who have now are now moved into that category. Um, I think the shocking one that I've found in my own day-to-day -day teaching is hearing students talk about, or the number of students talk about using food banks is much higher than it was before um, the pandemic. And that makes me really sad. Um, so doing all this well-being um, and thinking about the students' well-being, there's a point where teachers kind of have to switch off and they have to think about the ethics of themselves versus the students. So I read this quote, I'll be really honest, despite the warning and all of the advice, my well-being was my last priority. And the ethical dilemma for me was I can't look after myself because I've got so many people to look after first, despite all the warnings and despite all the advice. And I know we've said it so many times on the podcast and we've had lots of guests say it, that, you know, teacher well-being is so incredibly important. But I think during this time, there are so many teachers out there that have gone, actually, I can't look after myself because I have my students 
and we've got these students who are deprived, they don't have food, they're really sad, they've had all this grief. I think the amount of bereavement that's happened recently in schools is massive. So you're trying to be really, really empathetic and you're kind of emptying your cup of emotions to your students. And then you've got families as well. So teachers who have small families or even older families, they then have to deal with the children and then they might have a partner. So say for example, you're a teacher whose partner is now without an income and then you literally are the last person on that list and I think there's a lot of teachers that need to kind of flip that on its head and really put themselves first and I know that we all give that advice but I think that during this point of the pandemic we need to switch it up. Um, the other ethical concern that kind of popped up quite a lot from the stuff that I've been reading is there's so many teachers out there that have ethical concerns and dilemmas about remote learning. Some remote learning has had um, has been really positive and it's had a great impact on the students and some students prefer it over like classroom teaching. But um, the interesting one that I read was um, a staff member that said, do I respond to an email at 1am when it's from one of my senior students because it is their exam group and if they're emailing me at one in the morning then it's on their mind and I was awake anyway and blah 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 and I think we as teachers need to set boundaries and I know how much we care about our students and we want them to do the best and we feel accountable for their results we want to help them out but we do have to put in those boundaries just because they can reach us at any time of the day doesn't mean you should let them reach you at any time of the day so Hannah what are your thoughts I think that this is filtering down from the government the type of attitude towards teaching it's a 24-hour job at the moment Mm. Uh, especially for head teachers and it's not right there needs to be boundaries teachers need to set those boundaries and I always think I know you know it's probably <laughs> probably the worst thing you can do with a to-do list but I always think which one needs you know which one needs looking at now and which one can wait and there's nothing for me unless it's a safeguarding concern not that I'd get a safeguarding email at 1am but there's nothing for me at 1am in the morning that would indicate that that's extremely urgent I get into work about half seven I can deal with it then we can have a chat with that student it's not like it's you know results day and they need that kind of answer so I think the government before we came back in September talked about well-being and they said that in teaching we need to make sure that we address staff and student well-being and I feel like this isn't happening at the moment particularly with things like contact tracing so I know on Twitter, there's a lot of head teachers who at the very beginning of September were really worried because they would get a phone call or an email or a message on the weekend and they would have to sort out contact tracing over that weekend, tell all the students not to come in on Monday or whatever if they were in the bubble that had burst. And there was another head teacher who explained that they found out on a Sunday that one of their catering staff had tested positive for COVID. So the whole of the catering department had to isolate. So they had nobody to oh, feed wow. the children on Monday morning. So it's things like that, that really do put this into perspective and make you realize actually how important it is that the person doing that job has, 
has got time for themselves because at the weekend it seems like a lot of these head teachers are not able to relax and the thing that worries me a lot is the Christmas break so a lot of head teachers will be contact tracing after we break up on the Friday and the government saying to schools that schools can't isolate for the last week or do online learning for the last week or even attempt blended learning so we can have less children in the classroom I think it sends a very clear message that although we're telling you that your well-being is important we're not actually going to put anything in place to make sure that you you're actually looked after and unfortunately we're going to have to do it for ourselves and make sure that we are looked after and look after our staff look after everybody who works with us and it shouldn't be that way but it is down to us and like you said before setting those boundaries there are certain things that you can avoid contact tracing isn't one of them safeguarding concerns obviously isn't one of them but there are things that you don't have to do so hopefully we'll be able to give you some tips later on that you can address and and use over your Christmas break because you are going to need it it's very important that you can rest and recharge because like we always say you know you can't drink from an empty cup and your cup needs to be full if you're going to address and help and support all of those pupils that you teach. In Teaching and Learning, we're going to share some tips for you guys over the Christmas break. So, Kath, you've got some information there that you've been looking up. Yeah, so um, the first thing that I wanted to give people some advice about is what you should be working on over the Christmas break. And the answer to that is nothing. You guys should all be taking a break. Don't take that marking home. Put it back in your classroom. Take it out of your car, the back seat of your car. Take it out of your backpack if you like me and you commute. Um, don't take your work home. There's very, very little on your to-do list that cannot wait until January. And if you're unlucky like me and don't have an inset day in January, you can survive that first day and blag through your first day and then get onto your to-do list on the Tuesday when you're back at school. So that's my big piece of advice is that you shouldn't be doing anything over the Christmas break. I think particularly this year, because this Christmas break is going to be um, free of all the parties and all the drinking because, well, maybe not the drinking, you might be doing that at home, but um, you won't have as much social pressure to catch up with people before Christmas. So you can actually take this time to really, really look after yourself. And if you're one of those people that hasn't found that thing that helps you switch off from teaching, I suggest that you spend your Christmas break trying to find what that is. So Hannah, what's something that you're gonna do over the Christmas break for your mental health? Nothing. I do. I'm going to do nothing. That's what you're I like to literally do. going to do nothing. <laughs> Stare at a wall. Yeah, I think after this last term, you can tell my voice. Um, it's been a very, very it's normally a long term anyway, um, because it's the longest part of the year. It's the darkest, coldest part of the year. And I think I deserve to just watch rubbish on the TV and do nothing. And I'll panic in January because, you know, I know we've spoken before that past Kath is very good to future Kath and past Kath will uh, do lots of jobs and make sure that future Kath gets to work on the first day back and everything's done. Whereas um, 
past Hannah is not, not very good. Not everything's done. <laughs> it's never, not everything's done. Uh, past Kath tells future Kath what she hasn't done yet so that I know where to pick up because that's my big thing is that I like to turn my brain off and I have a terrible memory. Um, I had a really bad one today actually during a lesson where as I came into the classroom a student showed me their home learning and they're like look at my home learning I was like wow that's amazing we had a whole conversation about it and then when I went to check home learning I'm like where's your home learning they're like I've shown it to you I'm like what <laughs> oh yeah you did too um because that's what my my memory's like um so I just write a list of where I'm up to and I literally write myself on the first day back you need to do these three things but after that these are the things you can do so just kind of organize it so I know what I immediately need to do and then the rest of my to-do list See, that's a good tip on the last day when all your form is having a party and you put wham on <laughs> for the 70 millionth time and uh, mm -hmm. you don't want to, you want to zone out, make a nice list of all the things that you want to do in January so that you don't have to think about it over the Christmas break because there isn't anything really for me that is so pressing that I need to do it over the holidays and over the October half term and over summer and all the way through lockdown, I decided to revamp all my schemes of work and did everything from scratch. So I'm quite fortunate in, in that I don't have as much planning to do as what I might normally have. There's still bits to do, but I'm quite lucky that I, I did most of it. But this break is always the one where I relax. I might do other stuff in other holiday times, but this one, usually because it's full of family and stuff like that, is quite busy. But this one, even though it's not full of family, I think I'm just definitely going to use it to sleep and catch up on all of that kind of stuff. I'm um, part of a book club at my work and um, I, well, I recommended a book for the book club because I really wanted to read it. Um, it's actually from Sky Arts Book Club Live. So if you are looking for some good recommendations, great place to find them. Um, I'm really looking forward to sitting down and reading a book that has nothing to do with school. Really looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh, so looking forward to that. Um, I read a really, really great kind of piece of advice. It's not um, a quote, per se, but um, it was just a bunch of memes that were about emails that you can't emotionally deal with. And um, I thought, yeah, it's okay to deal with emotionally draining emails in January. So if you've gotten an email this week or your final week before Christmas or even if you get it over the Christmas break and you know that your response is going to be something like ah don't respond set like a little reminder so that you remember to come back to it and then do it in January when you're fresh and I thought that is a fantastic piece of advice because there's nothing worse than hitting send on an email and then five minutes later going shouldn't have sent that I shouldn't have sent that at all See, when it comes to emails and things, I am very clinical. My emails sound like it's been written by a robot. So I have to send them <laughs> to other people so that they can zhuzh them up and make them sound like a real person. Otherwise, it's um, regarding such and such. And, and it's very, very formal. So, yeah, I, uh, I definitely would use that tip. I might wait till January and then ask someone else to read my reply and then send it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, emotional, there's nothing worse than an emotionally draining email. The other thing that I want people to think about, particularly 
at the beginning of the next academic or next part of the academic year. If you're in another country like Australia, you'll be starting your academic year from February. Uh, working your contracted hours does not make you a bad teacher. And I think that's a really good piece of advice that I need to take myself. Um, we aren't expected to spend hours after school doing all this work. So if you have a day where you don't have to be at school, just go home. Go home and spend time with your family. Go read that book, watch that Netflix series, do whatever it is you need to do to recharge because, you know, we have contracted hours and directed time for a reason. So I thought that was a really good piece of advice because I'm definitely one of those people that if I leave early, I'm like, oh, I should be doing other things. I know somebody who works in a school that closes at a certain time. I think it might be half past four. So after half past four, you've got to be out of the building. And although it's probably a pain when it comes to things like report writing, if you've got a lot to do, it is a blessing in disguise because it forces you to go home. And then if you're like me, I don't like to do work at home. I would prefer to do it at work unless it's in the holidays. So it just forces you to look after yourself properly. And I think that's a really good idea. Obviously, for some settings, it doesn't work, but... It was like when we were speaking to James about his book, Leaving Work at Work, he was talking about, you know, if you normally leave at five o'clock, try and leave at half past four and see what happens. Try and, you know, those things that you're going to do or you need to do, they might be able to wait till tomorrow. And if they're so urgent, you can do them tomorrow morning before everything else starts up. And it's thinking about things in, in priority order because what types of things should take you all that time all you know all that time after school when you should be really planning and, and marking other things I know marking takes a long time mm. but I know <laughs> I like to uh do a tick a tick sheet because I have not got time to mark 500 books a week it's just not possible so I uh I try and make my marking as effective but as non-time consuming as possible yeah, I'm the same. I definitely do that. But even then, you do find that some piece, some assessment tasks or some marking tasks take longer. And I even do like a class. It's on my to-do list, but I do it by class because it's so satisfying to cross off. I've done that class and then I've done that class. And that makes me feel like I've got a sense of achievement and keeps me on track. And I kind of set myself marking deadlines. So and they're quite realistic. They're not like, you must have an entire year group's books marked by tomorrow because that's not something I can achieve. But if I have um, certain deadlines, like I know at the moment I am marking year seven progress and I want it done before Christmas, for example. And I'm already halfway there, so I've only got half to go. So I'm probably going to smash that deadline, which I'm quite excited about. So I think having those sorts of things is really helpful too. But in lesson marking has been a lifesaver for my workload. And I only get students once a week, but giving that one-to-one -one feedback is so valuable for the students, particularly when I can give it them verbally and they can understand what I'm saying. And then if they don't understand how to move forward, I can then physically tell them. And it means that I'm not doing five lessons and then an assessment lesson, five lessons and then an assessment lesson. I'm just mm. constantly assessing them all the time and they're used to it. 
and if they improve then I'll put their grade up which is great whereas mm. sometimes I find if we do one assessment lesson some students don't perform as well as what they might have done if they'd have done it continually without the pressure so it means that the results for the pupils are going up gradually a lot quicker than they were when I was just marking them at you know at the end of an assessment or at the end of a project so in class marking in class markings great um we've been doing something um this week i've been doing it with my year nines where they have to compare and contrast two artists work and what i've been doing is each um class in year nine has to tell me their similarities and differences so they'll i I say to them which ones do you think are going to be your best and let's get people from this form to share them and then the next form does the same thing so when we go back and make a difference i go these were the answers that came up you came up with in each form so now you've got this breadth of knowledge I want you to pick out which ones you think are best and then add them to the responses that you've already gotten just so that they've got this like breadth and depth to their understanding but it also means I don't have to look at their books because I just kind of type it up as they tell it to me verbally and it does mean that the really clever kids because you know that they're there in your class literally just write it down as they say it and they're like I've got my answers or they take someone else's idea and write it in a more eloquent or better way and it's um worked really well I do like that those types of it feels like it's a shortcut but actually it is more beneficial to do it that way for the pupils mm. I I do find that the last um, piece of advice, well, it's not really a piece of advice that we can act upon, but I mean, this is what we all really want right now, is um, that those that make the laws about education should have to teach for the whole month of December. And I was thinking about that today because I had a particularly tough day at school and I thought, yes, if only Gavin Williamson was in my classroom teaching Key Stage 3 art today, he would really get what teaching's all about. So wouldn't it be wonderful if our lawmakers could be in our classrooms at the most difficult point of the year and just take over? Yeah, and do all the extracurricular and, you know, sort out all the pupils who need support and everything. Check our tracking. Yeah, maybe that's can, what Ofsted can, could do. Ofsted could Yeah, just they could do their data entry and stuff as well. Because <laughs> uh, they're not being useful at the moment, are they, apparently? So, um yeah, we could we could use them to support us in lessons and things like that. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Ofsted invigilators, maybe. <laughs> in pupils causing concern, we're going to hear a story from Louise, who was on our podcast two weeks ago. Here we go. So my story is from my first year of teaching and my NQT year. Um, I was teaching at a fab school in Manchester and absolutely loved it. Uh, The drama department, however, was made up of three NQTs. Two of us had trained together and the other NQT was from somewhere else, but we worked together and we were a really tight-knit team. It was lovely. Um, We were asked to put on a show for that first year, which is totally normal, and we were more than happy to, but because we were so new, the show was actually chosen for us. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the Rocky Monster Show, and it's like a kid's version of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Anyway, absolutely fine. We worked really, really hard on it, and we decided to cast a year seven lad in the main role of Dr. Fenton. I think that's the name of the main character. And he was brilliant. It was the boost that he needed, but he was so charismatic and energetic and took direction so well. And we were delighted to have been able to give him that opportunity. And he was he was fab. 
Anyway, it came to opening night and all of SLT were there to support, which was wonderful, but obviously that is the night that it chooses to go a little bit wrong. My now husband, uh, but was then my boyfriend, was there as well to support us. Um, and anyway, the lad playing Dr. Fenton got up on stage and was about to deliver a line, but clearly got very nervous. Now, he'd never had shown any nerves uh, over this line before. It was never a line that we had to worry about. But it was something to do, I can't remember exactly, but it was something to do with Captain Kirk from Star Trek. And he delivered it a little bit like this. Oh, hi. So have you ever heard of Captain Kirk? Or Cock? Uh, Kirk? Uh, cock? Uh, Kirk? Cock? Is it Kirk or is it Cock? Kirk? Cock? And this went on repeat for what felt like forever. Um, I didn't know what to do with myself behind the curtains. I was half crying, half laughing. Um, and he was absolutely mortified. And you should have seen the looks on the faces of SLT. Uh, it was an absolutely classic comical moment. He did, he did eventually get the word Kirk out and uh, the play continued as if nothing had happened, but that very much went down in history as a really, really big blunder, bless his heart. Thanks, Louise. If you want to find out more about Pure Wellbeing Arts, check them out on Instagram and on Twitter. In any other business, there's loads going on, but I first want to talk about the winner of the book Lift by David Gumbrell. So well, was, it had... was it me? Was it me? Was it me? You're not allowed. I've said this last time. Oh. <laughs> so we had a competition for you to win this book, and it's all about resilience. It's all about supporting teachers in the classroom. And we had a nice list of people who had liked and shared and tagged other people into our post. So, Thanks for doing that, everyone. Absolutely. So, drum roll, please. The winner is. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Sue on Twitter, she won the book. So, she sent me a message with her school name, and we're going to pass that book on to her. So, please let us know, Sue, when you get that book and send us a little picture of you with the book. That'd be great. Amazing. Well done, Sue. I'm really jealous. And thank you to everyone that entered the competition um really really appreciate it um and i love that hannah's been using her random name generator to help us find a winner as well very useful um coming up in 2021 which feels really weird to say that um we want you guys to get more involved with our podcast obviously we talk to so many amazing people and we've got some really great interviews coming up next year um, but we'd also like you guys to get more involved and we want to hear your top teaching tips. So what Hannah and I would like you to do is if you've got a great top teaching tip, you can record yourself um, talking about your tip and sharing ideas on how other teachers could use this tip and send it to us, noncontacttime at gmail.com. Or if you've got another way that you'd like to send it to us, just get in contact and you can find out more information. But we're kind of looking for those um, tips that you found recently, particularly pandemic time, because I think um, there's been some really, really creative teaching out there during this time to get around all the madness that's been happening. But any, any teaching tip that you think other people would like to hear about or could use in the classroom, we want to hear about them. And um, we're going to put together a collection of them for our podcast. Record yourself talking about your amazing teaching practice and get in touch with us. 
And don't forget, if you subscribe to our podcast on Apple or Spotify, or if you send us some stars on Apple, or if you review our podcast, it helps people find our podcast. So please, please, please share, like, and yeah, if there's anything that you really like, make sure that you let us know on Twitter at non-contact time, on Instagram at non-contact time, on LinkedIn at non-contact time. And we've also got a group on Facebook. So all you need to do is search, surprise, surprise, non-contact time. Thank you to all the people who have gotten in contact with us over the past few months. So we'll see you in the new year. New year? Oh my <laughs> God, that's mad. Remember, don't take anything home. See you later. <laughs> Bye.